0: My name is Joanna Pagonis, and welcome to Tackle Tuesday. Tackle Tuesday is a podcast series that tackles different issues in the workplace. We explore topics such as leading with emotion, diversity, and inclusion, and how to create resilient and agile work cultures. Today's episode is sponsored by SinoGap Solutions, where we are experts in workplace culture. We make it easy to survey your employees and uncover actionable insights that will help you create a great company culture. For this week's episode, I had the opportunity to interview Sherry Benson, who is the principal owner of Thrive Safety Consulting. Sherry started her career in the energy sector, growing through the ranks from a health safety environment administrator to a health safety environment manager. And from the beginning of her career, she believes strongly that a thriving health and safety system requires strong leadership, a clear culture, and the trust in management that comes from consistent support and development of employees. We had our conversation back in October, but many of the concepts we discussed are especially relevant to what we are experiencing today as we are now in the second restriction closure phase. But our conversation went beyond what safety is. We discussed what do you do when your values no longer align with that of your organizations. We talked about what it was like for her to launch her own business. And we talk about how safety influences a company's culture. One of my favorite parts of this conversation is when we talk about shifting a culture that shifted on, on compliance to shifting it towards creating a culture of commitment. And what is the difference between compliance and commitment? One of the things that she said that I really love, and you're going to hear this in the interview, is that she says that people have to be included in the process. And a lot of times when we're talking about compliance, we're just pushing things down. Communication versus automation, but we should never underestimate the power of a conversation. So, I really do hope you enjoy today's episode. I learned so much from her, as I have no doubt you will as well. Hello, Sherry. Thank you so much for being on Tackle Tuesday. I'm really excited to have you on the show to talk about safety and how it aligns with strong and consistent leadership and management approach. So before we get uh, too far into a conversation around what safety is and what it looks like in various industries, I want to ask you, how did you get into safety consulting? Like, what were the circumstances that led you on that path?
1: Sure. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, so I think my, my safety journey began uh, almost seven years ago now, and so I, I'd worked with a, an or organization and I started in the oil and gas sector. And I think quite early on, um, as I went through, um, you know, different roles and moved up in the organization, I knew that I wanted to work with people. Um, I loved what I did, um, but I, I did feel like I wanted to impact people on a larger scale. So I started to kind of feel like I was in a bit of a container, if you will, um as far as you know, being with one organization and and one industry, so I really had a strong desire to branch out, um, to experience you know different industries um, and work with different organizations. Um, so I think that 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 was something that I felt um, and that intrinsic motivation to me is is just so critical um, in my role to feel fulfillment um, in what I do. So I, I feel like that I basically kind of, you know, started working towards that. Um, and then I, th- I, I guess I would say what really kind of pushed me, um, of course, you know, it's, it's, it's quite a scary leap, um, to move from an employee, um, and to start your own, uh, company and kind of the, the uncertainty that comes, uh, uh in, in the, uh, entrepreneurship, uh, world. And so it could be exciting, but it, it is a, a very big step to make. Um, and so I think what really actually kind of pushed me, um, if you will, to to make that leap it was um, through some of the changes that came um, with the downturn in the oil and gas industry. So I was with an organization and we had went through um, some really big organizational changes. Um, the, the company had been acquired by another company. We had an am- amalgamation, um, multiple facility closures and change in management, change in leadership, and subsequently a very drastic change in culture. Um, And unfortunately, in that case, it was not uh, for the good. Um, It it kind of went the other direction. So, of course, I found myself in a position where I certainly still loved the people that I worked with, um, and I I still loved what I did uh, in my role. However, now what had changed um, was the work environment that I found myself in. And that really had a a detrimental impact uh, to me, both professionally, uh, but also personally. Um, and so I started to really, you know, be pushed in that direction of, well, now I, I no longer enjoy, um, the work environment that I'm in. Um, and so ultimately it, it really did, um, push me to start consulting. So bittersweet, um, you know, having to, to leave and, and, and make that shift, but then it led me to where I am today. So I'm certainly grateful for that experience.
0: Yeah, what I'm hearing you say is that, um, and you correct me if I'm wrong, I hear you talking about your values. You knew what your values were in terms of your, uh, well, personal and professional, you knew what they were, and you felt like maybe the direction that the organization was going in didn't really align with those values anymore? Absolutely.
1: That's exactly yeah. it. So I'm I'm really, you know, in integrity for me at the end of the day, staying true to who I am um, is important. Um you know, in professionally and personally, uh, but certainly how, how I conduct, um, my business is, is with that, uh, top of mind and certainly my values and an organization's values. I think it's critical to have alignment. Um, and, and alignment is something that I talk about, um, with, with my clients. And it's something that I think I bring to the table and I, or I try to, uh, create alignment with the organizations. So that's how I see my role. Um, you know, as a catalyst and, and driving Mm -hmm. that change and, and creating those, those bonds and building those relationships. So certainly, yeah, absolutely. Alignment is, is critical. Um,
0: out of, out of curiosity, what did it, because sometimes I tell, I try to tell people when you feel like you're ready to make a change, one of the things that you need to examine is, you know, well, what, what are my current values? And, and having those guide you, I call it the lighthouse. The lighthouse should always guide your decision-making and your actions, especially when you're wanting to make a change in your life. Um, and I like how you said it, you realize you needed to make a change because there was there wasn't that alignment in values. I'm kind of curious. Somebody may be listening saying, and thinking to themselves, look, what does it feel like when you know that your values are kind of clashing with the organization that you're working for? They don't align anymore. What did it feel like for you?
1: Sure. I, I, I love how you presented that. Um, I think that it, it comes in the form of resistance um, and so I, I, I think that that would be how I, I summarize it in one word. Uh, but what I mean by that is, um, you start to feel resistance in your work, um, and not just your typical roadblock day to day, but something, you know, it's a feeling. Um, so it's not something that's tangible, but it's certainly, it affects your performance. Um, it affects your, um, you know, your emotions. And I think that also it ripples into your personal life as well. Um, so, you know, I think it's important to, um, you know, separate personal from, from, from professional to some degree. Uh, but I think that that, to answer your question, the resistance then affects your whole life. Um, and it, it, uh, definitely changes your mood, uh, your attitude, and you might not necessarily be able to pinpoint necessarily why you've had this shift. Um, however, I think that it's, it's something that you can't really, um, you, you can't compartmentalize it.
0: That's right. Um, there's this book that I was reading called The Emotionally Intelligent Manager because a lot of what I do focuses on emotional intelligence. And I think it, the, 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 there's two authors. I think it was Caruso and Salovey wrote that book. And they are kind of like the, I would say the founders of emotional intelligence before Daniel Goleman did it. In any case, in their book, uh, Developing the Emotionally Intelligent Manager, or the, I think it's just called The Emotionally Intelligent Manager. They talk about how emotions are critical. They're important. And we need to start embracing our emotions in the way that we lead and we need to listen to them because they can help guide our decision-making. So what you clearly articulated is that, it was, it came in the form of resistance, but a lot of that was a feeling that you had an emotion, a mood, an attitude, um, that manifest, manifested itself in a form of resistance that impacted not only your work life, but your personal life too. And I like how you said that because it just iter- reiterates what they, what they are saying in that book is you need to listen to those emotions and not ignore them and make some space in your life to examine what's going on. Cause then it can become that catalyst for you to do something different that is more fulfilling for you. So I assume. So, so tell me then about launching your own business and and what that shift was like for you. Sure. Yeah. No. That's great. Um, Scary, exciting, (laughs) Um,
1: all the things. So, no, it's interesting. Actually, it's quite a a dichotomy of feelings because on one side of the spectrum, um, there is that excitement there's, you know, the opportunity and the the growth is really, you know, I, I, one of my favorite quotes is life's only limitations are the ones that we make. So I think a lot of times we, we think small, um, and, and things are bigger than we can even imagine if, if we allow them to be. So there's that side of it. Um, and then there's the other side, which is, you know, where's my next paycheck coming from? Um, and so I think a lot of times you kind of can maybe end up in a a bit of a scarcity mindset where you'll kind of, well, I'll take this on. I don't really like doing this or this isn't my, you know, my, my main, uh, passion, if you will, uh, or what, you know, my, maybe my main offering that I'd like to be doing, um, or my ideal client, but I'll take this on because, you know, I, I need, that next, um, you know, paycheck, or I need to start somewhere. So your standards kind of shift a little bit, or, or maybe your, your priorities shift in that sense where, y- you know, there are obviously some baseline things that you need to have in place. Um, so certainly that side of things can drastically, um, drive or shift where you start to put focus on and an emphasis. So things change quite rapidly. So I think you can have, goals and, you know, short-term goals and long-term goals within the organization, but things change very quickly. I think you need to be able to pivot. Um, you need to be able to, like you said, create that space where you can process um, these things and um, pivot uh, uh, and Kind of, you know, prioritize and execute in the moment. Um, you know, not to get into to COVID, but just one example of something that's unforeseen. And entrepreneurs uh, have been drastically affected. I mean, among uh, you know all organizations, but certainly entrepreneurs, um, you've had to completely reshift what you thought you had planned for twenty twenty.
0: So, how have you? Cause, so, talk to us a little bit about Thrive Safety Consulting and how you've adapted during this time. Sure. So I, I,
1: I, would have to start by saying I was actually extremely fortunate, uh, timing wise. Um, I had gotten on with a client right before the pandemic. Um, so I think that timing wise, I, I'm certainly grateful for that because I had my foot in the door prior to, um, the, two days before the pandemic actually. Um, so that said, I think that, um, you know, how I've adapted, it actually worked in the opposite direction for me where I became busier, um, because, you know, as we know, safety, uh, this falls under our wheelhouse, um, c- quite largely, um, you know, among other departments, certainly HR support as well, but safety, you know, this really falls under safety's realm, uh, protection of workers. So, um, I was a fortunate where, um, actually, I actually got busier with this particular client that I was working with. So, um, yeah, so that said, I think that that's just been my focus and I've completely pivoted where I wasn't necessarily maybe working on different projects that I had thought I'd be working on. But I've, I've really um, been able to bring value to this particular organization on a, a larger way than I had foreseen prior to the pandemic.
0: Oh, that's perfect. Okay, so let's talk about then safety, because you said like COVID-19 has really kind of put safety, especially for the workplace at the forefront of many conversations and the minds of many companies. So let's talk a little bit about that. What is, because before COVID, and I think it shifted in regards to people's perception of what safety is and which industry it belongs in, but there was always this assumption that, you know, I worked in a very corporate office-like setting. Uh, for the majority of my career. And so safety for us were slips and trips and near misses and that real safety and safety protocols and safety programs were primarily for industries like oil and gas, like you talked about, that's where you started and and construction and those kind of industries. But is that really the case? What, is, what does safety actually mean and entail, especially now with COVID? Sure,
1: I I love this question. So I think you know it's a great example because I, I actually come from the oil and gas industry uh, primarily, and now I'm I'm not working in the oil and gas sector. Um, so it's been an I- interesting shift for me, um, and I think that I've I've actually experienced this. So I I love that this is a question I get to talk about. So certainly, I think oil and gas, when we were or, or construction even, but these types of industries. It's it's easier for people to connect to what safety is or or what it looks like because you see it. Um, the types of risks that are uh, present in those types of work environments are tangible most of the time. Um, so you would mentioned you know slips, trips, and and these types of things. Those are kind of the one the go tos that most people kind of kind of talk about. But when you're on a, a you know a, a drilling site, it's easy to stand there and point out various hazards at the work site. So people are in full PPE. um, That's just part of the job. Those are the standards. So I think that um, inherently industries that have these higher risk have, um, you know, higher standards. And that's the culture, just baseline. Um, Then you have kind of over and above uh, industry leaders um, in these fields. So those major players that, you know, we all know um, the shells and the imperials, um, so we just know it's a minimum standard to have, um, certain training requirements and we do an online orientation before we go and we have pre-access drug and alcohol testing. So, you know, just some, some easy examples to point out, but that's just entry. Then we have over and above things that we're doing and behavior based is integrated as part of the culture, um, and so now, when we shift to other industries where we have lower degree of risk, uh, we have hazards that are aren't so visibly, uh, you know, obvious to the eye, um, and we don't wear PPE necessarily because it's not a requirement or those aren't the hazards of the job. Safety looks different. Um, people aren't aware, or they aren't as aware. They don't have that kind of base level. Um, you don't need a a full week of onboarding and you don't go to an H2S training class prior to starting work. So now, you know, what does safety look like? What do people know safety as it's, you know, pretty well, as you described, maybe just the slip trips or falls. So now I think the analogy and kind of what I've had to learn is as a safety professional, I, I one an analogy I really like is you're a tour guide and you need to meet your tour where they are at you can't start the tour um, you know at the fifth uh, stop so if you come from the oil and gas industry I think that it's kind of an asset coming to a different industry because you kind of bring those best practices you've seen them you know what you know utopia or what good looks like so you can actually adjust and kind of try and integrate those um, best practices and those high standards into the industry you're in. And so, however, the, the caveat being you have to meet the tour where the audience where they're at. You have to be speaking their same language. So if, if um, you know, these, there's certain things that are nice to have and will get there, but you have to recognize where you're at now um, so you know, whatever industry you may be in or where the client is more specifically. Um, and and so when once we understand where we're at, we can understand um, you know where we want to go, and then we can make a plan to get there. And so I really see you know to I guess that was like a long drawn out answer, but um, safety applies to everyone. I think safety is on and off the job. Um, and I think that if you can meet the audience where they're at, speak their language, help them understand, you know, the baseline, the basics. Um, so one of my, my favorite sayings and, and my, my motto, if you will, is driving cultures to change from compliance to commitment. But before we can get to commitment, which is our high standards, our best practices and the leadership and alignment and culture, we do have to be compliant. So we have to establish that foundation first and then we can make a plan to get to
0: commitment. What is the different level of motivation for somebody when they're compliant and and when they eventually become committed?
1: You know, when I think about a a culture that's compliant, I really think about an organization that those are the discussions. We're talking about costs. We're talking about uh, reactive or lagging indicators. We're talking about Legislation, um, which certainly has to be d- in part of discussions um, in an organization, but those are the only conversations we're happening, uh, we're having. Excuse me, are about these types of reactionary uh, things that are in place, and and you know we we say one thing, or we have a policy, or we have a procedure, uh, but the day to day decision making and the actions that we're taking aren't in alignment with that. Um, so we say we want to do this, but we're actually doing that. Yeah. So when I think of, and I think, so for me, committed is more referring to like a healthy safety culture. And I even, I even hesitate to say safety culture, because when I think about culture, I actually just think about organizational culture. Um, I don't, I don't really kind of differentiate between the different departments. So I think that how we impact safety um, is really ultimately organizational behavior, but a healthy safety culture um, can only be achieved when employees trust the integrity of their leadership um and their safety system. I think that they need to feel included, um, they need to feel heard, they need to feel valued. Um, and this requires commitment um, and personal involvement from all levels of the organization. So when the company's goals, their visions, um, you know, their their mission, their values, um, if they're not visibly embodied in the day-to-day operations, the safety culture and trust and leadership um that form the foundation, I think, of of overall growth and success performance of the team um, that erodes. People have to be included in the process. And I think that a lot of times when we're talking about compliance, we're pushing things down um, and we're not having discussions that kind of come back the other way, back up the chain.
0: That's a perfect way to say it. That's the way I see it too. Compliance is when I hear like something like we got to do some compliance training to me, that is the uh, like every year we got to do that, that online course on ethics or that online course on protecting information or on safety or right. Um, And I'm like, we have to do that you do it not because you really are intrinsically motivated to do this because it betters your organization yourself or your colleagues you do it because you have to that's just being compliant but committed is when you see what's in it for you you understand how it benefits the organization overall. And, and you, you're more intrinsically motivated to want to follow through on what it takes to create a safe working space for everybody. So to, I see the difference between I'm just satisfied with my job versus I'm really engaged in my job. And I see a lot of people who are satisfied, just compliant. I'm doing it for the paycheck. I'm just, I'm, I'm crossing my T's and dotting my I's and, and punching the clock versus committed. Like I'm engaged. I understand what it is I'm doing. And you said these, these words. Understand what the values are, understand what the purpose and the mission is, uh, what our organizational company goals are. And I feel like I can influence them and they're embodied in the way that we act and, and treat each other every day. That's what I hear you saying. I
1: love that. That's eloquently summarized. I love it um, and I think yeah and I, just to echo I guess it's it's totally so um, basically creating that emotional connection to the goal so helping people make those connections because I think a lot of times companies either don't share um, the goals or the vision so people can't connect to them um, or it's, it's not uh, in, in alignment so people can't connect because what we're actually doing or the actions we're taking aren't in alignment with what we've said we're going to do so people can't connect to that either um, so when we can help people make those connections. I think ultimately that's how we see long-term success versus these short, um, you know, kind of quick little things that we try to roll out initiatives, they won't, they won't last. It's a short-term, um, it's not a sustainable change. So I think long-term success requires that emotional connection. Um Absolutely. Within the organization. Right.
0: Like, like I say, do you want a quick fix that will fail or do you want um, a solution that will succeed? One that's sustainable, that's really well integrated. And I think like you just said that the difference between the two is the emotional and 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 time investment that you make in the people in your organization uh, to al- to ultimately create that, that culture where everyone feels safe. So actually, you said something that was very interesting. And I want to break it down for our listeners a little bit because as you said, you don't want to distinguish between a safety culture and an organizational culture. They're basically one in the same, but I still have, I still talk to people that have a hard time wrapping their heads around really, how are they the same? And I don't know. So I kind of almost want to break it down into, into like uh, manageable Chunks, if you will. I thought maybe the first thing that we can talk about is you mentioned hazards. Uh, and I was like, okay, well, let's, let's, you know, there's different hazards in different types of industries, but let's talk about like, what are some hazards and, um, that we need to be aware of? And I think the method to my madness here is if we can understand what the different hazards are in different industries, in different workplaces, maybe we can build that up into saying that, you know, this is what a safety culture looks like and really how it's not distinguishable from another type of culture. Does that make sense what I'm trying to do?
1: I think so. I think I'm with you. Okay. Let's, 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 let's go on this little journey (laughs) to see how it
0: turns out. (laughs) Okay. You're you're the tour guide and I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Okay. Okay. So, okay. Let's start with a hazard. Like, what are some typical hazards, common ones that maybe transcend all industries?
1: Okay. So I think, I mean, right now, I think, uh, one that might resonate and I think everyone can relate to is, is psychological, um, hazards right now. Um, with COVID, I mean, that's just something that's, I think, easy. Everyone can relate to it. Um, and I think that that doesn't matter which industry you're in. Mm-hmm. That's a major hazard. What
0: what do you see some of the psychological? Because you know when you hear COVID, you're thinking, okay, the physical are like you can get sick, right? That if you don't protect your employees or your customers, that somebody could get it and and then transmit it to other people. That would be the physical aspect of it, correct? Mm -hmm. And then making sure that you have, like you said, the PPE in place or whatever protective mechanisms that you need to keep people safe. What are some of the psychological effects that are coming that you are seeing being manifested in people because of COVID?
1: Sure. I think the the hardest thing to manage, um, you know, as a safety professional right now is is perceptions. Um, There's a lot of fear and people's perceptions are their reality. So if they perceive something to be unsafe, um, if they feel, um, you know, scared or or threatened or uh, at risk, that is a psychological, you know, that's their truth.
0: And what can organizations do to to listen to, like, what can they do to try to alleviate, minimize those, those hazards, the psychological ones? I think a lot of people are very clear on the physical ones. There are so many things that are, WorkSafeBC has shared so many things. WCB, Alberta WCB has shared so many things. There are so many things on the internet, so many blogs, so many articles, OH&S Magazine, about how to deal with the, uh, physical, um, hazards. What are some things that, um, employers can do to, to mitigate and manage the psychological hazards. Like you said, fear, let's look at that one. Fear is a good one. The perceptions around fear, what can they do to, to mitigate that hazard?
1: Sure. I think, you know, communication ultimately um, it's really at at the base. And I think that we, we kind of underestimate, I believe, um, you know, I guess is my opinion, but I think we underestimate the power of a conversation. And so what happens and what we see, to you know, and I'll even take this a step back here is even within safety management systems, we've, we've really turned to automating, um, and something with COVID as well as it, it has also forced us a little bit, um, to, to create more online learning, um, automated, um, types of things. So social distancing, ha- you know, we're meeting virtually, um, which is kind of the, you know, for, for a lot of us, the bulk of our our interactions are happening virtually. Um, so, you know, what comes with that is also removal of an integral piece of, I think, you know, an organization is that human interaction, um, so that it changes the dynamic. So I think that, you know, as much as we can, we can read, we can send emails, we can put an online training, um, the, the feedback loop on communication is not closed. With those means of communication, so yes, those need to happen. I think we have to have baselines as an organization. Um, you know, going back to compliance, there are things that we need to do and information we need to share. Online training is the most you know efficient. I think means of training as it stands and, and safest with you know the measures and protocols that we need to have in place for COVID. But that said you know, to your point, how how does the employee now, you know, report back to us? How do they feel supported? How do they feel heard, understood? So, you know, in organizations that have, I think, a strong culture or maybe something, you know, established pre-COVID, that might be a little bit easier to navigate. But for these companies that might be at that compliance stage that don't have that closed feedback um, kind of system in place, where employees, or, or even that trust in leadership, hasn't been developed or um, prior to now, to have those conversations, it's pretty unrealistic that an employee would come forward on their own um, without that type of relationship in place. So, I I think that for me, communication is is, is at the base of all relationships. So, communication and trust. Um, and when we build strong relationships, we can build strong teams. Um, so whether that's through peer, you know, there's some peer to peer engagement as well, but I think that we underestimate the power of a conversation. Absolutely. I agree. You know, every interaction is, is really critical. And I think that we need to put a little bit more emphasis on some of those one-on-one interactions.
0: And, and I don't think it's too late. Like you said, there may be some companies that don't have that culture where there's this continuous um, flow of communication between supervisors, the direct reports, and like that back and flow form of communication, not just me as a supervisor delegating work, but once again, I use that term, creating a space where you can contribute to the conversation. You can share with me how things are going, your barriers, your challenges, even your fears. And it's never too late to start. Even if you don't have that now, you can still start. You can... It, it takes really not a lot of effort to just schedule some time to sit down with each of your direct reports to just begin having that conversation can go a long way.
1: I love that. And, and, and you're right. It's really a conversation. So are, are am I as the supervisor directing work or, you know, and in that same conversation, obviously that's part of the job you have to direct. That's great. Um, but in that same conversation, are we asking questions? Or are we telling someone, are we speaking, you know, at them or or are we actually having a conversation? Like you said, where there is that open platform that they feel, um, that they can share or say something. So are we asking, how are you feeling? Um, or these type of open-ended questions that don't end in a yes or no, um, or a good, um, how are you good? Uh, you know, so I think maybe just changing the the dialogue a little bit and and, like you said, opening it up to truly be a conversation, not just here's what you have to do today and and we hang up the phone, or you know, maybe that's in an email, I don't know, but um, yeah, a little more effort there, I
0: think, yeah. And I think this actually brings us back to full circle. When we started the conversation around create going, like when you talked about how you decided that your values didn't align and you needed to do something different and the culture had shifted uh, where you were working. I think if organizations, so when we talk about strong, positive, safe cultures and not really distinguishing two different cultures like the safety culture and organizational culture, but making them one, it kind of goes back to what you were just saying. Are you strong on what your values, your mission, your purpose, your values are? Are you living them every day? And the best way to live To demonstrate that you're living them every day is to start with that conversation, that one-on-one conversation between supervisor and employee, because it is an opportunity to see how they're doing, but it's also an opportunity to share the direction that the company is going in. And I think that is what moves somebody from compliance to commitment and starts to create that overall strong, safe couple company culture. It's kind of like, this is what I've heard you say. This is your key message that I've heard you share over the last 30 minutes that we've been talking.
1: I love that. Absolutely. No, I think, I think that's, you know, ultimately it's, it's building relationships Yeah. um, within to create strong teams. Um, And, and those there's, There's personal, not personal, but one-on-one types of relationships that are formed and then there's teams and then there's an organization. And I mean, you can't just have this strong organization without these relationships within the organization and these teams within the organization.
0: And I think when we talk about an inclusive culture, an inclusive culture is one where Like you said, it's not one form of, it's not, not just delegating work to you, but I'm asking you open-ended questions too, to kind of get to the heart of what you need or, or how things are going. So this actually leads nicely to the next question because, and, and you, I think we've already really discussed it and answered it, but I wanted to explore, like, what does safety look like at an individual level versus an organizational level? I think we spoke a little bit to that in terms of, vision and mission and values that, you know, the company's strong and understanding what they are and embodying those through everyday behavior. Individuals that those conversations between supervisor and direct reports, are there other things that distinguish what safety looks like at an individual versus an organizational level?
1: You know, ultimately I think people have to understand where they fit in. They have to understand their role and their role within the organization. Um, I don't, I don't believe anyone comes to work thinking I want to work unsafe. Um, I don't. I don't believe that. I think inherently we want to do a good job. We want to work safely. We want to go home safely. Um, but I think different things motivate different people. Different people have different intrinsic motivators. Um, some people are, are heavily extrinsically uh, driven. So I think it's important that individually we understand our people um, as individuals and we still treat people as individuals. It's not one size fits all. Um, and safety certainly isn't, you know, one size fits all within an organization either. I think there's organizational context and you have to understand, um, again, you know, going back to, to my previous statement as a tour guide is where is this, where is this organization? What is the industry? Um, what fits this operation? So we can't cookie cutter the safety management system. Uh, we can't cookie cutter the, the quality management system. I mean, I can go on and on, but it really has to make sense within the organizational context. And then, you know, our people have to fit within that. And I think one of the biggest disconnects for me that I've seen is when people don't understand their role, when people don't understand their responsibility, there's no accountability (laughs) because you can't apply it. Um, But when people understand what they need to do, like people don't know what they don't know. So when people understand, you know, I'm supposed to do this at this frequency, These are the tools. Here they are. Here's the form. They want to do a good job and they can, but when they're not provided the tools and the resources they need to do it, you know, effectively, efficiently, um, they can't be successful in their roles. So not to throw it all on the organization. Um, you know, at the end of the day, there are exceptions to this, certainly. And there's organizations that do a very good job of, of this. Um, and you know, I would say at that point, then it's, it's just, managing uh, people and performance but um i think a, a big disconnect a lot of the times is we can have the fanciest system we can have the all the bells and whistles but if people don't know how to use them again it goes back to the short term and long term success of any type of program so um you know i think understanding people as individuals having them understand their role having clear Um, you know, resources and and guidelines and and expectations, setting them up for success within their role, then those people will contribute to the organization and we will see long-term success in in whatever direction we may be going in in that particular organization.
0: I've been integrating this question now at the end of uh, my conversation with my guests. It's called keep it, start it, and drop it. And so I'd like to ask you when it comes to safety in the workplace, what's one thing you would keep? What's one thing you would start and what's one thing you would drop? Okay.
1: So can I go backwards? Can I throw everything off?
0: Yeah, you go whatever order
1: you want. Okay. So I think, I, I think a lot of safety you know, professionals would, would agree with this. Um, and maybe I'll summarize it as like a, a larger picture, but legging indicators. Okay. Explain to me what that is. Sure. So, I mean, the most obvious one being like our our TRIR or recordable incident rate. So, um, talking about claim costs and those types of metrics that we we typically see at the forefront um, of of safety discussions. So, there, there certainly is a time and a place, but in a lot of organizations, this is all we talk about this metric. So, when we look at those types of met- metrics, those are all reactionary. And so the event has already happened, and our discussion is still about the event. So you know, I, there's a lot of stuff that happens in the background with safety. Yes, we need to manage uh, costs and 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 claims and claims management. It's certainly not uh, not saying that that's not an area of focus. But when all we talk about at a management level, and if our focus is all on these reactionary measures, we we're not in any way or shape or form discussing proactive and things that we can do on the front end. I mean, we think about the hierarchy of controls, uh, elimination. Um, you know, if we're only talking about the event, we're not even, we're not even thinking, um, in any way, prevention or elimination. Um, so I think for me right off the bat, drop it is these conversations and and time and focus on these types of, of metrics. Okay. Keep it. Um, you know what? For organizations, I think that that are tracking link, leading indicators. I mean, we need to have more emphasis and discussions um, around those types of of things, um, and then accountability. But I think that a lot of a lot of things come before accountability in order to have true uh, accountability. But I think that we, we sometimes we get bogged down in you know, or we kind of tiptoe around things sometimes, um, as far as accountability goes, because we're kind of scared to address the root cause. I think a lot of times, um, especially now with, you know, you kind of have to take three steps to, to get to making decisions sometimes. But, um, ultimately I I think that it's still accountability comes in different shapes and forms, but I think that we need to, um, definitely hold ourselves, um, accountable, and uh we have to hold we have to hold others accountable as well so i think that for me you know that's that's truly um something that i think needs
0: to happen more of you, you know what going back to your your uh compliant uh, being compliant versus committed when you have a culture that where accountability is embraced uh that people can be candid with one another because they're strong trusting relationships it's easier To be, and I've talked about this in in the episode called Authentic Leadership, where we said, you know, giving feedback and holding people accountable is an important job of a supervisor. But if you actually have a relationship with somebody where there's trust between the two people, it's easier to be candid with somebody. And one way to build trust with your employees is to say, you know, I screwed up. I made a mistake. I made an assumption, whatever, didn't work out. Holding yourself accountable and being that role model is a good way to get people to go from being compliant to committed. So I wanted to bring back, I love that, that expression you have, that, that quote you have, I have it here. Driving cultures to change from compliance to commitment. So accountability I see is a big piece of that puzzle to get you to go from compliance to commitment.
1: People You know, like you said, going back to candid and these, um, these conversations, I mean, people respect, I think a lot of times leaders are fearful that they can't make a mistake. Um, that, you know, I, I can't, oh, well, you know, do as I say, not as I do, or that, you know, visible leadership doesn't mean that you do everything perfectly. Um, visible leadership, like you said, to your point is, is being candid, um, being human <laughs> having emotion um being vulnerable i mean that's a huge one um you know leading leading uh i mean brene brown is is amazing in her work but um you know dare to lead is a book that i love um just to throw out a, a good one there but you know vulnerability could be seen as a, a negative and and there's certainly a, a line to navigate there in, in an organizational context but i think that. Um, it, it's courageous it's brave and these i think a lot of times that you can look at a i don't even like to use the word mistake but when there's a a, you know an opportunity to have these types of candid discussions or if if there was a a a failure or a shortcoming on on the part of a a leader being able to stand up and own that people respect that that is a that is an opportunity to uh, fortify if anything, relationships, um, with your direct reports or within a, within a team. I mean, being able to, um, speak to that and say, this is what should have been done differently or, um, but owning that and being self-accountable, um, is huge. And I think that it could actually have such a positive outcome if you look at it that way. And if you present it that way, what would you start well, I think we can almost, uh, echo from, from what we've said is, you know, that vulnerability. Uh, but I think ultimately creating alignment to new organization, um, kind of, I guess, over and above that point, um, start to look at, you know, truly, are we doing what we're saying we're going to do? Um, and I think for a lot of organizations, it, it, it's, it's writing on the wall. Um, and you know, that might seem like a pretty simple answer, but I think that a lot of times we, we need to take it back to basics because we can't do, if we're not doing the basics, if we don't have that foundation, truly, um, everything else isn't, it's just kind of piling on there. Um, and I don't think that it, um, all those things kind of don't really matter if we can't do the basics well. Um, and if that's not integrated, um, I don't think that the, all the bells and whistles don't really
0: matter, I guess. Right. Okay. So any last words that you'd like to share? Yes,
1: <laughs> absolutely. Um, you know, I think that I, I don't know if this has become kind of my, my motto and I've, I've I alluded to it earlier, but I think that ultimately I, I just want to reiterate it is that I've, I've always maintained that every conversation or every interaction is an opportunity and it's an opportunity to leave an impact. Um, and, and you get to decide what that impact is. I mean, that's a very powerful thing. I think that people underestimate, um, you can, you can choose to leave a lasting, positive impact on someone in a very short conversation. And I think that, um, you know, I think that that's pretty much what I want to leave people with is, is use your power to empower others and your sphere of influence. Don't, don't underestimate, um, how impactful that, that you can be. And and your sphere of influence can be as little as you want it to be, or it can be as big as you want it to be. So I think, you know, dream bigger, um, think bigger. And yeah, I think that, uh, I think that's, that's what I'll leave people with,
0: otherwise i'm gonna go off on a a tangent
1: so <laughs> <I just laughs> no, <laughs>
0: and well you know what, that it, it does bring us back full circle to the first conversation you you dare to dream big, and that is what gave you the confidence that you needed to start thrive safety consulting
1: absolutely, yeah, and I think you know my journey's not not one of just overcoming um i i I think it's one of thriving, and that's ultimately you know why I named my company drive safety consulting is is you know bigger uh, more not just not just overcome but thrive
0: right so how can what, what are you working on right now how can people connect with you and uh, I'll, be share, I'll be share. I'll be sure I'll be sure to share <laughs> sure. Your, your contact links in, in the show notes absolutely but yeah can how, how can somebody connect with you sure
1: I think the best way to connect with me is on LinkedIn um, so I'm on there Sherry Benson um, I also have a website thrive safety consulting um, so you know you can just pop that into Google and I pop up so certainly can get reach out to me through my website. Uh my contact information is there, phone or email. Um obviously I prefer phone. <laughs> Speaking of interactions. Um no, but I, I'd love to have a conversation uh if anyone's interested, but uh LinkedIn or, or website.
0: Perfect. Well, I want to thank you so much. I want to thank Sherry Benson from Thrive Safety Consulting for taking the time to share her expertise with us, especially during this time. We're in the fall. Uh, it's interesting what's happening with our COVID numbers across across the country. So def- definitely safety is on the forefront of many, many people's minds. So thank you for sharing kind of like a really big picture view of what safety is and how it needs to be integrated into the way that we do our everyday work. So thank you so much for sharing that with us, Sherry, and uh, and thank you to everyone for listening to this week's uh, Tackle Tuesday episode. My name is Joanna Pogonis, and I look forward to tackling the next issue with you.
1: Awesome. Thanks for having me. You're welcome.